Uh, today is our final sermon in our month-long series on prayer. And during this, we've had 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I hope that between those two emphasis here at our church and also the resources that I've mentioned uh, from the Pray First app to the YouVersion Bible app using the Daily Refresh and also A Praying Life by Paul Miller that through that message, through all of that, that you have had some time of personal prayer uh, this year so far, and that it's helped you take your first steps in prayer. Now, it may be that you've had some time in personal prayer, and you've prayed, and you've spoken to God for maybe 60 to 120 seconds, and you cover the basics, and you're not sure where to go from there. You're not sure what to say or what to do. And last week's message and this week's message are to help you with that. And today I'm going to help you by looking at a passage of Scripture that's always been really meaningful to me to help me understand and, and make a priority of spending time with God. It's this passage in Luke where Luke captures this awkward moment. How many of you have ever experienced an awkward moment, right? Some of you, that's all you experience are awkward moments, but there's this awkward moment where Jesus gets pulled into a, a, an argument between two siblings. And if you've had a sibling, you will recognize this experience. And when I was younger, before I got into ministry, I always thought this exchange was weird because here's two siblings that are asking Jesus uh, to, to get in the middle of their argument. And then I became a pastor and I found out that people do this all the time that people constantly ask someone to get in the middle of their argument to help them win the argument. It's what siblings do when they're little and they want mom or dad to tell their brother or sister to do what they want them to do. And as we get older, we try to get other people to get on our side in the argument that we're having with our spouse or get the pastor to tell us that we're right and they're wrong. That's what's happening here. Jesus is asked to intervene in this conflict. And so you'll recognize this probably from situations in your own life. Luke chapter 10 is towards the very end of the chapter. We'll start reading in verse 38. Now it happened as they entered, that as they went, he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus, tell my sister to get her act together. Jesus, tell my sister to help me out. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. You are worried and troubled about many things. And I love that in this, this verse, Jesus says her name twice, and we can kind of get a sense of Jesus' emotional response here, not just what he says. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. 
Uh, have you ever had a conversation with someone and found it just remarkable how much of the conversation they're able to carry completely on their own with very little input from you, right? I mean, there are times you can be completely checked out. And as long as you feed them an occasional, mm-hmm, wow, yeah, they can just go and go and go. By the way, I recognize the irony of me pointing this out since I get to stand in front of you and talk at you for 30 minutes every week. But even people who are able to do all of the talking in a conversation, they at least need some response from the person they're talking to. They need that, mm-hmm, yeah, okay, to know that they still have a captive audience. I can tell you that when I'm preaching, if I look out and I'm getting just blank stares, it's, it's really going to have an impact on what I'm saying. Even I, when I am the one that's going to be doing the communicating this morning, I need to look out and see people are listening. Man, I, I did not enjoy COVID uh, at all when we, we, we were all worshiping from home and I was preaching to an empty sanctuary and looking into a camera and not knowing if there was anybody on the other end. We need that back and forth in conversation. We need, at the very least, someone letting us know that they're listening, that they're hearing what we have to say. I read a book one time. A guy was talking about how he had learned to just be interested in others and uh, to uh, to ask them really good questions. And so he would use this, uh, this trick at parties or, or dinners. He would use this method of just constantly asking them questions. And there would be people that they would ask him no questions. They would answer every one of his questions and talk all about themselves as long as he fed them another question to learn about them. And he said that afterwards, people always walked away and they would say, he is the most interesting guy. <laughs> Even though they've learned nothing about him because... That person was constantly saying, tell me more about yourself. And when we have that back and forth, it's, it's easy for us to talk. If there's someone who's asking us questions, speaking to us, we're able to bounce off of that. And even in good conversation, we need that other person saying something to us that causes us to respond. In the book, uh, Praying Life, Miller points out that we often struggle in prayer because it feels like, the conversation is one-sided, that there is no back and forth, that we don't even get a mm-hmm from God, that we're talking and we're speaking and we're not getting any confirmation that God is listening. And it feels like just speaking out in the air. One of the reasons that we struggle in prayer and we're not sure what to say beyond the first basic words, is that we need to learn to listen in prayer. Because even though we're not able to hear it audibly, God is engaging with us in conversation. He's speaking to us. I'm not saying that you're going to hear an audible voice or that you're going to have a vision or a prophecy I'm saying that prayer is meant to be a conversation, and I'm using that word because it's something that we can grab hold of, but really prayer is more than a conversation and less than a conversation. Here's what I mean by that. 
Probably in your life, there are people that you have grown so close to them that you're able to sit together in a room and be with one another and nothing needs to be said, right? Now, there are times that maybe you've had a dispute and something needs to be said, but nobody wants to say anything and there's a tension. That's completely different. But when you are on good terms with that person, with your spouse, with your friend, with that colleague, you're able to ride along together in a car and you don't have to feel the air. You don't feel this need to say something, to cut out the awkward silence because the silence isn't awkward. It's two people who are close with one another simply being together. One thing that I have learned in my marriage is that there are times that I should just say less or maybe not say anything at all. That's hard for me, someone who talks for a living, who speaks. I am always convinced that I have a word or two or three that will fix the situation, and they don't. They don't help. It would be better for me to be quiet and to listen in Luke 10, we have a picture here of Mary, one of Jesus' disciples. And I know that when you hear the word disciple, you might think that that term just refers to 12 men who were named. They were named disciples, but Jesus had many disciples, men and women. Mary is one of them. And she is sitting at the feet of Jesus in this passage of Scripture. Now, this is actually a phrase or a term that was like a technical term that was used to refer to anyone who was a disciple of a teacher. So someone who was a student would sit at the feet of their teacher. And so Mary is literally doing this in this passage of Scripture, but it's also this, this term or phrase used to refer to the, the choice she's made in life to be a follower of Jesus. Let me give you an example to help you get a hold of this. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, take someone under your wing, right? You can take someone under your wing without literally taking them under your wing. You can take someone under your wing without having a wing, right? You, that phrase comes from the idea of chickens or hawks taking their young under their wings, bringing them close so that they're not in danger from a predator, the idea of sitting at the feet of Jesus, this is something that Mary is literally doing in this passage of Scripture, but it was the concept of being a follower of Jesus even if you weren't literally sitting at His feet. And I want you to know this because I want you to know that you can sit at the feet of Jesus without literally sitting at His feet like Mary did. You can be a disciple of Jesus without having the opportunity that Mary has in this passage of literally sitting at Jesus's feet. What I want you to see in Luke 10 is that even though Mary is literally sitting at his feet, this is a larger commitment or choice than it is a posture. This is a decision she's made more than it is about her location. And friend, even though you and I live 2,000 years later in southern Indiana, you and I have the opportunity to choose to commit to sit at the feet of Jesus. And this is important. 
Because from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, what we see in all of the gospel stories is that he invites disciples to be with him. He says, come, follow me. When we read of the earliest accounts of disciples coming to follow Jesus, they would go and they would just spend the day with him. They would come and see where he resided. They would journey with him from one place to another. They were just with Jesus day by day in everyday situations. And this is different to us because when we think of having a teacher or having someone who would train us, we think of reporting to a class from 9 to 9.40 on Monday morning. And then you have homework that you have to go home and do and books that you have to read and labs. And those of you that are currently in school, this is all very familiar to you because you have a class schedule where you go, you sit in a room like this one, you hear from an instructor, you have homework to do, assignments to turn in. But when Jesus invited these people to be his disciples, they weren't signing up for classes. They were signing up to be with him to walk with him, to spend their day in, day out with him. And this was common in Jesus' time. A customary blessing that people would give to students was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi or your teacher or your mentor because you're with them all of the time, that you're covered with the same dust. A better idea for us today would be like an apprentice who works alongside of a master tradesman, who sees how these things are done, how this work is completed, how these tasks are accomplished, that learns of these truths, these ideas, by seeing them in practice. These disciples were apprentices. Now, if you are an apprentice, but you never spend time with a master tradesman who's teaching you, your apprenticeship isn't very helpful, is it? I worked at a company in college where we had these these jobs that we would do on homes that were abandoned, and there were some of the guys that we would be sent with who'd been working at the company for a long time, that they would treat us like an apprentice, and they would teach us how to do the work, and they would teach us why we were doing this and why we were doing that. And then there were other guys that you would go with and they just treat, treated you like a gopher. Go for that, right? Go get me that tool. We had no idea why we were getting that tool, what we were need, needed that tool for. We were just doing busy work for them. But an apprenticeship is you're with someone who shows you why and how. Jesus invited them to be apprentices, not assistants. They would spend every waking moment with him. They were around him all of the time. They weren't just there doing his bidding and his busy work. They were learning. So, when the day comes that Jesus tells the disciples that he's leaving, this is a big problem. Because it's kind of hard to have an apprenticeship if you're not around the master. In his final conversations with them, he brings this up and they say, Jesus, where are you going? How how do we get to where you're at? How, How can we get there? How do we get to you? We don't know the way. And Jesus responds to them and says, you do know the way because I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is telling them, listen, you'll still be connected to me because you've learned the way. 
I've shown you the way. He also tells them, listen, I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who is another like me, who will be present with you wherever you are, no matter where you're at. You'll have access to me through the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, all of this in that same conversation, he says to them in John 15, Abide in me, and I in you, like a branch abides in a vine. Now Jesus just told them that he's leaving, that he's going away, but yet they're called to abide, to dwell with to make your home in. That's what this word abide means. It means to sit at the feet of. It's what Mary's doing in this passage of Scripture, but Jesus calls them to sit at His feet even though His feet are about to be nailed to a cross and then resurrected and ascend up into heaven. How will they sit at His feet? They will still be able to abide with Him. They will still be able to sit at His feet. Friend, I want you to see that what Mary is doing in this passage of Scripture, sitting at the feet of Jesus, is something that you can do today. Even though Jesus does not walk the streets of Chandler in his physical bodily form, you are able to abide with him and in him. I want you to see that this is possible, and I want you to see how important it is. Because the truth is that we're all abiding. In his uh, new book, um, John Mark Comer points out that we are always abiding. He says, it isn't a question of are you abiding, it's a question of what are you abiding in. All of us have a source we're rooted in, a kind of default setting we return to, an emotional home. <laughs> It's where our minds go when they're not busy with tasks, where our feelings go when we need solace. It's where our bodies go when we have free time, where our money goes after we pay the bills. We all make our home somewhere. The question is, where? And all of this matters because whatever we abide in will determine the fruit of our lives, for good or for bad. If we're rooted in the infinite doom scroll of social media, it'll form us into people who are angry, anxious, arrogant, simplistic, distracted. If we're rooted in the endless cues of streaming platforms of our choice, it'll form us into lustful, restless, bored, never present to what is. If we're rooted in the pursuit of hedonism, another drink, another toke, another hookup, something to take off the edge of pain, let us find a moment's peace, that will form us as well, likely into people who are compulsive, addictive, running from pain and simultaneously running from our healing. We all abide somewhere. We all dwell somewhere. We all sit at the feet of something or someone that is forming us. So we should choose to abide at the feet of Jesus, not in whatever it is that the world is currently dishing out, whatever the current trend might be. Comer goes on to talk about how 
there are different terms for abiding that different saints have used through the years. Dallas Willard called it the with God life. The old Quakers referred to it as centering down. But what Brother Lawrence referred to it as is practicing the presence of Jesus. And what I love about that is that Brother Lawrence wasn't some guy. He was just up on top of some mountaintop, you know. He said, oh, man, here in the beauty of nature, I can practice the presence of Jesus. He was a monk, but he didn't talk about learning this back in the back corner of some sanctuary in a monastery. Rather, he said it was doing the dishes and working in the kitchen of the monastery. It was there in the middle of all of this loud noise and people calling for what they needed and dishes clattering that he was able to practice the presence of Jesus. And he said that I could have the presence of Jesus there with me in the middle of all of that, just as if I were kneeling down and about to take communion. You see, the issue is not your environment. The issue is not your setting. The issue is not that your life is busy because you have a job and kids and responsibilities. The issue is not out there. It's in here. It's in our heart. And, and this is helpful because here in Luke chapter 10, Luke is contrasting someone who is busy with much doing and someone who is listening. And Luke is making this contrast because this is a part of his gospel where he is really emphasizing hearing. In Luke 8, 8, we have, and he talks about the seed. He says, another fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he said these things, he cried. He said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. In Luke 8, 15, talking about seed that fell on good ground, he said, those are those who have a good heart. Having heard the word, keep it. Luke 8, 18, take heed, therefore, how you hear, for whosoever hath to him shall be given. 8, 21, my mother and brethren are these which hear the word of God. This is my family, those who hear the word of God. In Luke chapter 9, one chapter previous to this passage, God speaks from heaven with a heavenly voice and says, This is my beloved son, hear him. And so the emphasis in this section of Luke is hear the message, hear the good news, hear the gospel. But that does not mean that it is mutually exclusive from doing. In fact, the hearing that is being spoken of here is a hearing that is involved in doing. Because Luke 6.49 says, But he that heareth and doeth not... It's like a man without a foundation who built a house upon earth and against which the waters did beat and immediately it fell and the ruin of it was great. If we only hear without doing, we're like a house without a foundation. It doesn't do us any good to hear if we're not also doing. Because this act of hearing is more than just hearing. How many of you know that you can hear something without listening, right? 
if you're married, you've practiced this. You have heard what your spouse said. They told you about this thing that was coming up multiple times, and then it comes, it happens, the day of the event happens, and you go, I didn't know anything about this. And your spouse says, I've told you about this a hundred times. And you heard them, but you didn't listen. Maybe the noise made an impact on your eardrums and caused it to vibrate, and your mind said, she's talking. But at no point did it sink down and go, oh yeah. And what Jesus is talking about here is you need to hear the message of the gospel and not just hear my voice rattle on your eardrum. You need to hear it and it goes into your heart, into your mind. And it takes root. And when it does, what you do will be different. Who you are will be different. How you act will be different. Listen, there are times that I'm preaching and I can see in your eyes that you might be able to hear me and the microphone is working, but you're not listening because you're elsewhere. Your mind has wandered. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and she is hearing, but based on what Jesus would say about her later, it wasn't just that she was in a place where she could take in noise she was putting herself in a place where she could listen. It was an active choice. There's a difference between hearing something and actively listening. And she's actively listening. And here's what's beautiful. You and I have the same opportunity. Even though we don't get to be there where Mary was and have the words of Jesus come off of physical lips spoken by physical vocal cords and make an impact on our eardrums, we can still listen intently to Jesus. We can hear from Him. We can hear Him. We can sit at His feet and be with Him. Even though we can't literally do what Mary is doing, we can follow her practice and we can make the same choice. We can sit at Jesus' feet and be with him. Even though we live in a Martha reality. And even though our hearts constantly strive to be more like Martha. Now listen, Luke is contrasting these, but we're not told that you have to choose between only being a Mary and only being a Martha. Because what Jesus says to Martha Martha, Martha, you're concerned about many things. But it's not that what she is concerned about is wrong or bad. In fact, she uses the word twice, serve, and the word that she uses here for serving is deaconess, deacon. It's the calling that God would give to his church. Specifically, some would be named deacons to serve, to help, to do the types of roles and work that Martha is attempting to do here. This is work that God would call us to. Work that we are to be about. Work that God has ordained us for. Crafted us. Designed us for. 
So don't look at these passages in Scripture and say, you know what, I would love to help out in your time of need, but I'm more of a Mary. I like to sit at the feet of Jesus. Good luck. Because that's not what God has called us to do. And this is important because there have been times where we will read the passages of Scripture that talk about Sabbath and rest and how important it is. Listen, it is so very important, but it is not a get-out-of-jail-free card or a hall pass to walk out on what it is that God has called us to do. And what Mary is doing in this moment is not all she's done because she was serving with Martha, but now she's clocked out because now it's time for her to sit at the feet of Jesus. Jesus isn't saying, listen, you can only listen or you can only serve. He's saying all of these are important, but one is most important. One is most important. He says, Martha, you were concerned about many things, but Mary has chosen that better part. And this gets to the the, the crux of the matter because this isn't a choice about either or. This is a choice about priorities. What is most important? And listen, if serving people and helping others and being a good neighbor makes it impossible for you to sit at the feet of Jesus, sit at the feet of Jesus first. Okay? But here's usually what I hear. Pastor Daniel, I, I would love to help out with that, but I'm just really focusing on knowing Jesus and following him right now. And also this Netflix show that just came out that I'm really interested in, right? I, Pastor Daniel, I don't have time for all this. is more of a season of Sabbath and rest and shopping online and scrolling Facebook. Listen, if there's something that we need to set aside, there are many things that we can set aside before it's time to set aside serving others. What Martha's doing isn't wrong. What Martha is doing is needed, but it wasn't most needed. And I'm going to guess that in our 21st century lives, that there are a lot of things in our lives that are even less needed than serving, that take up a whole lot of our time. And it's easy for us to get judgy about the way that other people spend their time. I could do a whole sermon on how, you know, we, we judge people who spend all their days on social media, and we spend all of our days on eBay, or Amazon, or Zillow, or Hulu. The question here is not, are we a church that seeks after Jesus or a church that serves? The question is not, are we people who sit at Jesus' feet or serve others? The question is, what order do those priorities come in? And they're both priorities. And sitting at Jesus' feet comes first. Serving comes second. Self-serving comes third, or fourth, or way down the list. It's a matter of what takes our attention and our focus. That's what Mary was doing. 
she had served alongside of her sister and then left her sister to go and sit at the feet of Jesus because it was time to hear what Jesus had to say. Friend, that's what we are called to do. We're called to sit at the feet of Jesus. We're called to abide with him. How do we do this? How? How do we listen? How do we practice the presence of Jesus? Two simple applications and I'm done. First of all, recognize your status. You are in need. It's interesting that Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're concerned about many things, but one thing is most needed. Not most important, most needed. Friends, what I'm talking about this morning is not something that is good. It's not something that's a great hack for you to add on to your life. What I'm talking to you about is what you desperately need. You need. You desperately need. And it may be that you don't recognize your status because you don't recognize your need. You think that you got it pretty put together. I mean, compared to most people, I'm a whole lot better off. Listen, Pastor Daniel, I can show you a whole list of people on Evansville watching on the news who got it way worse than me, really making a mess of things. I'm pretty good. Have you seen the things I've done? Not bad. Friend, when we spend time in God's word, when we spend time in God's presence, what becomes more and more and more and more apparent to us is we desperately need him. That we're a mess. An absolute mess. You need Jesus. You need his presence in your life. It wouldn't be a nice tack-on or add-on. It's what you desperately need. It's the cry of your heart and your soul. And Jesus did not come, live among us, and die the gruesome death that he died so that we could have a nice addition or feature to our lives. He came because we desperately needed him to. We were lost in our sin and transgressions. We needed him. How do you sit in the presence of Jesus? You recognize how desperately you need it. And if you find yourself drifting to being a Martha, always worrying about all of these things that need to be done, and you can convince yourself that they're good and that they're important and they're godly, they're spiritual, they're religious, let me remind you that what you need more than any of all of it, what is most needful, is the presence of Jesus. And if you get that right first, all of the rest of it is so much easier. How do we do this? One, recognize your status. And two, recognize your status. Because first of all, your status is that you're desperately in need. And secondly, your status is you're a son or a daughter. Chapter 10 ends in the very next lines in chapter 11, which when Luke wrote this, he didn't break it into chapters like this. 
So if we were reading this as, as Luke had scrawled it on a piece of paper before the chapters were added so that we could easily find the same place, the very next lines are, Jesus went apart by himself to pray. And when he came back, the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, when you pray, say this, Father, who art in heaven, call upon God as your father, because your status is sons and daughters of God. Your status is that you're desperately needed, but your status is also that you're a son or a daughter. And Tim Keller has this great, <laughs> this great illustration. He says, there's, there's, there's very few people that can come and wake you up in the middle of the night and ask for a glass of water, and you say, okay. He said, even if your wife wakes you up in the middle of the night and says, can you get me a glass of water? You'll probably say, you really woke me up at 2.30 in the morning to get you a glass of water? But if your six-year-old daughter says, dad, can you get me a glass of water? Okay, honey. Who has that kind of access? Only a child. Only a son or daughter. What's your status? Your status is a son or daughter of God. Remember your status. Remember you're a son or a daughter. And remember how you have that status. Did you know that every prayer that we have recorded of Jesus, every prayer that we have recorded that Jesus ever prayed, he used the term Father. My Father. Except for one prayer. There was one prayer that Jesus prayed that we have recorded where he didn't refer to God as his Father. It was the prayer when, she, when he was hanging on the cross and the sky turned black as the sin of mankind was laid upon his shoulder and he hanged, hung there on the cross, taking the punishment for all the sins of mankind. And in that moment, totally alone, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That one prayer, that one moment where he no longer had that same connection, that same freedom of relationship because the sin of mankind was being poured upon him and no longer was it the status of my father, my father. It was my God, my God. And he experienced that so that you and I could call on him as father. So that we can pray as sons and daughters. And when we recognize that we have that status, can come before the Lord, and even when we don't have the words, we can come and listen, and we can abide. We can be in his presence, and because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can experience this in the early morning when we wake up before anyone else is awake, and we've had a good cup of coffee, and everything is just beautiful, and also in the middle of doing the dishes, and your kids are screaming, you can have access to abide with the Father. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.